how many of you would say that you know Jesus pretty well? Uh, I'm not asking if you're a Bible scholar or if you could teach a seminary class, but how many of you feel like you know the stories and you, you know a little about Jesus, who he is and, and what he's like and why he came and how he works? How, how many of you would say that? I would guess that at least some of you are watching, who are watching, would, would say that you know him well enough. And, and if you don't, that's okay too. <laughs> that's probably why you're you're watching this. And, and my hope is that you'll at least learn a little bit more. But if you were, even if you were to say that you know Jesus pretty well, uh, I, I would guess that there would be some things about him that would surprise you. Because that's true of any relationship, isn't it? Uh, just this week, uh, just today actually, my wife and I were talking over breakfast and she was telling me a story from back in college and it was one that I had never heard before. And that surprised me because I knew her back in college, I've known her since college and, and here she was telling me something for the very first time and, and I love that. I wouldn't want our relationship to be any other way. Uh, I mean, it is these pleasant surprises that keep a, a relationship fresh and, and interesting and and you've probably experienced this too, haven't you? Uh, maybe you were talking with a friend when they told you that their great-great-great-grandfather was George Washington, and, and you thought that was pretty cool, and you, you wondered how it hadn't come up before. Or, or maybe it's someone that you thought you knew pretty well who, who reveals some hidden talent you knew nothing about. And you learn for the first time that they're an amazing piano player, or, or they can do the most uh, inspiring magic tricks, something like that. Uh, you, you've experienced this, these, these surprises that come from even people that you thought you knew everything about. And, and again, that's what makes a relationship fresh and, and interesting and, and really kind of fun. But then there are those surprises which make a relationship hard. There are things that we learn about people for the first time that can put a strain on a relationship and, and sometimes even tear it apart. And you've probably experienced those kinds of surprises too. When, when you learn uh, that someone you really, really love made some huge mistake in their past and you never saw that within them, right? You never thought they were capable of, of that. And, and at the same time, you, you wonder why they hadn't brought it up before. Or, or maybe it was something that had happened to someone you love and they've been carrying this burden and, and, you, and you wonder, why didn't you tell me? I would have loved to have helped you and yet it's a surprise to you. Or, or, or maybe it's something that comes out of that person, a side of them you never saw before. Or maybe it was anger that just bubbles up to the surface and, and, and they had always seemed so cool and calm and collected to you and you just think, where did that come from? Our relationships, for better or worse, are full of surprises. And, and the same is true with Jesus. Uh, today in our reading from the Gospel of Mark, we're reading through Mark 8, 27 to 9, 1. Uh, Jesus doesn't want there to be any of these difficult surprises. Jesus knows that there are some really things, hard things about him, right? There are things about his character, about what he came to do that are really hard for us to wrap our minds around, right? Things that he does that seem backwards, maybe even wrong to us. And, and Jesus knows that. He gets it these hard parts of him, and, and yet he doesn't that want that to be a surprise to us. And so what he does today in a reading is he lays all of those cards out on the table so that we wouldn't be surprised when we see these difficult aspects to his life, so, so that we wouldn't walk away from our faith, so that we wouldn't look at what he does and, and the things that he says and, and think, well, well, God must not be here, he must not care, he must not be strong enough, right? Uh, Jesus puts it all out there, all these difficult things, so there would be no surprises.
See, our reading for today comes from the, the center of Mark's gospel, both in terms of chapters. It's chapter 8 out of 16, so right uh, smack in the middle there, but, but also kind of in terms of the, the narrative arc of the story. This is a hinge moment. See, that's because Mark begins his gospel by, by telling us that this book that he's written is the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. And that word Messiah, it, it's, it's an important word. The Messiah was, was the person that God had been promising to the Israelites for centuries. It was the person who would come from God, who would turn things around. Turn things around for these wandering Israelites who had, who had to put up with some corrupt kings and, 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 and armies that would come in and defeat them and take over their land and deport them to a foreign nation. Amidst all of the hardships, God had promised a Messiah, one who would come and rescue and restore things and, and put them back to how they should be. And so, so God's people were waiting for this Messiah, some more than others. But they were longing for someone to come and make things right. And, and Mark begins his gospel right away by saying, yeah, that guy's come, and it's Jesus. And then Mark spends the, the next eight chapters giving us example after example of, of Jesus proving that out. So he tells us stories of Jesus cleansing lepers and, and healing the sick and, and showing power over the forces of evil, casting out demons. He, he, he tells us that Jesus teaches with authority and, and awes the crowds. Right? Story after story proving that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, he, he's doing the things that everyone was hoping that he would do. And, and then comes our reading for today from chapter 8. And that's where, after doing all of these things, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Okay, after everything I've just been doing, who do people say that I am? Do they get it? Jesus is wondering. And his disciples tell him. They, they say, you know, some people think you're John the Baptist, back from the dead. Other people think you're Elijah. Uh, many people think that you're one of the prophets. So what the disciples have noticed is, is that people recognize that there's something different about Jesus. He's a holy guy. And yet the crowds, most people, don't recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is. But then Jesus kind of gets down to the point and he asks the disciples a question that I think he asks of all of us. It's one that we ought to be thinking. And that is, who do you say that I am? You, Jesus is saying to his disciples, my closest friends, those people I have given an inner glimpse to, who do you think I am after all I've done? And that's where Peter speaks up, I think, for the rest of the disciples. And he gives this beautiful confession, right? He says, Jesus, we see it. We, we have seen it. You are the Messiah. And he's spot on. But you know, then Jesus needs, needs to show Peter and the rest of the disciples what kind of Messiah he is. And that's going to be surprising to the disciples. He's going to tell things uh, uh, to them about his messiahship that they never saw coming, that they just can't wrap their minds around, right? Jesus says, yes, he is the messiah. Well done, Peter. But, but he's a messiah who will suffer. Right? He, he tells the disciples, he lays it all out there. He says that he's going to be betrayed and, and rejected and then handed over to the authorities where he's going to be mocked and ridiculed and flogged and then handed over to suffer, uh, slung up on a cross to, to face the most shameful death that, that anyone could face in that day. And it's only after all of that shame that he will rise up and be, and be alive again. Uh, again, this was something that was a surprise to the disciples to hear Jesus say all this, right? Because they did not expect the Messiah to, to have all that happen, right? There are lots of different thoughts about the Messiah in Jesus' day, like who he would be and, and what he would do and how he would look. Uh, some people pictured the Messiah maybe as a, as a, as a shepherd, 
because the Bible describes the Messiah that way. Others might have pictured the Messiah as a militaristic general because the Bible speaks that way too. But, but most people, the kind of common accepted vision of the Messiah was as a victorious king. Right, who would reign and rule over the people. And it was this victorious king who would do a, a few important things. Three things, in fact. First, there was a common expectation that the Messiah would restore the temple, right? restore God's dwelling place amongst the people so they could live with him in, in intimacy and community once again. The second thing the Messiah was going to do would be to punish the enemies right? and defeat them, bring, bring victory to God's people over the enemies like Rome and and then the third thing the Messiah was, was going to do was to bring justice, punish evil, and bless the righteous. And, and when Jesus starts talking about all this suffering and this crucifixion and the cross, what they hear Jesus saying is that, that he's going to die before any of that Messiah stuff happens. What Jesus is actually saying is that he is going to do all that Messiah stuff, but he's going to accomplish it through suffering. That suffering is the way that, that he will live out his calling. So, so yes, he will restore God's presence to the people so that, so that God's people can live with him in perfect harmony and unity and intimacy, but he's going to do it through the cross. That's how he's going to bring it about. And, and yes, he will, he will conquer their enemies, not just Rome, but actually greater enemies than they maybe even knew they had, like sin, death, and, and the devil. But again, he's going to do that through the cross. And, and yes, he will bring justice. He will punish sin and bring blessing upon the righteous, but, but that will come at a cost through his own suffering, his own sacrifice, and his own death. Again, this was a surprise to the disciples, though. I mean, we're used to hearing this, but the disciples are hearing it for the first time. It's, it's a surprise and a shock to them. It's scandalous to them. And, and that's why I think Peter pulls Jesus aside, right? And not because he has bad intentions, but because he loves Jesus. And, and so if you remember the conversation, what he's saying to Jesus is, Jesus... Don't say this. Don't belittle yourself like this. You're better than that. You're not going to die. Don't you know what God has in store for you? You're the Messiah, after all. But, but Peter doesn't get it. A suffering, sacrificial, dying Messiah is not at all what he had in mind. Now, I, I think you and I, at least those of us familiar with Jesus on some level, I, I think that we are not surprised by Jesus suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, we kind of equate the cross and suffering with Jesus in many ways, don't we? Uh, the, the two are one. When we think of Jesus, we think of the cross and, and vice versa. And that's a good thing. I think we were meant to, right? Especially in light of our reading. It's, it's something that I'm actually trying to teach our daughter. See, every morning I, I get her up from her crib and we come downstairs where, where she can play with her toys. And as we make our way, to, to that room where the toys are. Now she has this funny habit where she has to point and show me everything hanging on the wall, right? As if I don't know that it's there, or as if we haven't done this for the past six months straight. So she'll, she'll point to the mirror, and then she'll point to the coat rack, then she'll point to a painting we have, and then she'll point to a photo of her, her mom and I on our wedding day, and then she'll point to her calendar, she'll touch every light switch and make sure I know it's there and that it's working. And, and then last of all is a cross that's hanging on the wall. And every time she points to the cross, I say, Jesus, because I, I want her to equate the two, right? The cross with Jesus and Jesus with the cross. And, and that's a lesson that many of us have learned, right? We're not surprised that Jesus suffered on the cross 2,000 years ago and sacrificed his life, right? We're, we're not surprised that, that he accomplished grace and forgiveness in life through suffering. I think what does continue to surprise us, though, 
is that he continues to work through suffering today. We get it that 2,000 years ago he had to suffer and die, but, but we're surprised to learn that it's the same way today. And I think many of us have had a conversation with Jesus like, like Peter did, right? We, we experience suffering around us all of the time. We, we are asked to sacrifice all of the time by Jesus, and that's hard for us, right? We, we think 2,000 years have happened since the cross. Shouldn't have things improved a little bit or, or changed at, at least? And so we might have a prayer with Jesus, say, Jesus, what's going on? Why aren't you here? Look at all the suffering. Why don't you do something about it? Aren't you above this? Uh, aren't you going to help me? But what we need to learn and what Jesus wants us to see is that how he worked 2,000 years ago through suffering and sacrifice is exactly how he works today. And, and that's why he says things, right? Like whoever wants to, to save their life has to lose it. And whoever wants to be my disciple has to take up their cross because following Jesus is going to hurt sometimes. And Jesus wants us to see that. He wants us to see that we're going to have to sacrifice something. Sometimes our pride, sometimes our ego, sometimes material possession, sometimes money, sometimes friends, sometimes family for the sake of the gospel. And, and yet he wants us to be aware of that, not to scare us, but so that we would learn to trust in the midst of the suffering, so that we would see that he continues to work in suffering just like he did on the cross, so that we would see that he continues to, to be here in the midst of the suffering just like he was on the cross, so that we would see that he does his best work through times of suffering, just like on the cross, so that we wouldn't give up, so that we wouldn't lose hope, so that we wouldn't be surprised when suffering comes. So dear friends, don't be surprised by suffering. It is a part of the Christian life. It was a part of Christ's life, and it will be part of ours. Don't be surprised by it, but come to see God working through it and in it, and come to see that he is waiting for you at the end of it, with open arms and life everlasting. Don't be surprised by that, but, but I do hope that you continue to be surprised by his grace. I hope that you continue to wake up each day just amazed and in awe of what God can do through suffering and pain, through the darkest of times. I hope that the forgiveness and the life and the hope that is yours in Jesus continues to just surprise you every single day. In Jesus' name.